Hello, my name is Britt Hicks, and this is another Exvangelical podcast. On this podcast, I interview people from all walks of life who in some way identify with the term Exvangelical. On that note, everyone has their own personal story, their own vocabulary. Uh, When listening to this podcast, there may be things that you agree with and things that you don't agree with. And I invite you to just to sit and hold space for the person that you're listening to. All right, so for today's episode, we have Shannon T.L. Kearns with us. Shannon, uh, could you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So I am an ordained priest, uh, a playwright, and also a transgender man. I use he, him, his pronouns. Um, Grew up in rural Pennsylvania as an evangelical fundamentalist. So as you can imagine, uh, quite quite a journey it's been to, to get to where I am today. Yeah. And so Shannon's also written a book called In the Margins, and I just finished reading it uh, sometime this weekend. And it, the way that you wrote the book, it just, it was easy to stay engaged. Um, like I did, it was a, it was a page turner. Um, okay. I, <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed how um, you shared your life, and then you also were able to bring in the Bible with it, which I thought was very creative. And um, yeah, it also seemed like a Bible study. But also in reading your book, I felt like I was reading my own story. And the whole time I was reading it, I was just shaking my head like, who is this guy? <laughs> Get out of my head. Um, so when did you become a Christian? Well, that's, you know, a complicated question in that it depends on what we're talking about by (laughs) becoming a Christian. Um, As a kid, I would have said that I became a Christian at four years old, four or five years old when I, you know, accepted Jesus into my heart. Uh, Now I think of being a Christian much differently, um, that it's not a, a moment of a prayer that you say or a decision that you make. But it's kind of an ongoing commitment to living and following in the way of Jesus. And so it's it's both like a, I feel like I've been a Christian all my life. And also I'm trying to become a Christian every single day. Okay. Um, and you mentioned that you grew up in the fundamentalist church in Pennsylvania. And now you're a trans pastor. So there must have been like maybe a faith crisis or something in between that. How did you get to where you are now? And I know that's a loaded question, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I said, I grew up in the evangelical church um, at the time would have just considered it a Christian church. Looking back, it was like, oh, no, we were definitely one of the fundamentalist branches. Um, But we seemed like cooler than the other fundamentalists I knew right because like we could wear jeans and we had drums in church and um and like I knew folks that weren't allowed to wear pants and you know anything other than hymns was was considered evil um so it was hard it was hard to figure out that we were part of a fundamentalist super conservative tradition because on the surface it didn't look like that 
Um, but I grew up in that world and and it was literally my entire life and world. I was homeschooled from seventh or twelfth grade. So like the church became my entire social life. It became my group of friends. It became where I went to summer camp. Uh, like everything I did was somehow associated with and affiliated with my church. And I was like all in, right? Believed all of it, was super, super committed, felt a call to ministry, um, probably starting in seventh grade. And yet it was complicated because I was um, in a church that didn't allow women to be pastors. I was assumed by everyone around me to be a woman. I didn't have any language around sexuality or gender identity. You know, the only kind of teaching we got around sex was don't have it until you're heterosexually married. And then we didn't really talk about gender, right? It was like, this is what guys do and this is what girls do. But it it was framed in a way that like didn't didn't allow any conversation about um about identity. And and so and this is also, you know, I'm in my 40s, so before the internet really exists, I'm in a rural community, so I don't have that much access to television or to cable or to books. Um, so everything is just like in my church. And I ended up also going to an evangelical Christian college. And so it was, it was in college for the first time that I really started to ask some questions about my faith. I was starting to realize at that point that I was primarily attracted to women. I still don't have any language around gender. Although I, if you look at pictures of me, I've looked like a 12 year old boy since I was 12. <laughs> um, so like that, uh, it was clear that something was happening around gender, but like people didn't really talk about that. Um, I was definitely getting a lot of pushback around my gender presentation, but no one would say those words, right? Mm -hmm. it, you you wouldn't say like, oh, we think that you might be gay or we think that you might be trans. It was, you're not dressing femininely enough. Um, mm -hmm. You have, you know, special relationships with girls. I'm using air quotes, right? Like all of these mm -hmm. things that we were dancing around the subject. Um, and so that was starting to really come to a head in college. And also I was in college being taught um, theology and having a lot of questions. And when I was asking questions, you know, in classes, so the place where you want students to be engaged and to be intellectually curious, um, my questions were getting shut down. And I, and I started to feel like, oh, I think something's wrong here. Like, I think, I think that if, folks aren't willing to answer my questions, that that's not a sign that I shouldn't be asking them. It's a sign mm -hmm. that something is wrong in our system. Um, and so that really sent me on a journey of trying to figure out like, what is it that I actually believed and why? Um, a, a process that now we would call deconstruction. We were, no one was doing it uh, mm -hmm. when I started. And so I felt really alone and scared and and really felt like, these questions that I'm asking could be the end of my faith, um, which was a terrifying prospect when my entire life up to that point had been the faith. Um, thankfully, that process for me wasn't a journey out of Christianity. It was instead what I consider a journey more toward the mm -hmm. heart of Christianity. I was able to, to find a way to stay inside of the tradition that I grew up in, uh, but it looks radically different from from the beliefs that I had when I was a kid. 
Um, and, and all of this was happening as I'm like serving in churches and trying to figure out if I should go to seminary and like figuring out my gender and sexuality. Um, so as you can imagine, it was a, it was a complicated time. Yeah. Um, and staying in the church the whole time too, that has to be in it. I, you know, again, can relate, but it's a, it's a very difficult thing. Um, how did your, your view on authority change? Cause I, I remember when I was evangelical, the authority, the pastor was like the, the main, the, like it was God yeah. and then the, the man of God. So how has your, your view of authority changed? Yeah, it's funny because I've always been both a, a bit of a people pleaser, um, but also a bit of a shitster, right? Like I remember even in junior high being the kid that's like trying to craft so caveat like church drama was a big thing in my world it was not cool <laughs> but it was big uh, and so like trying to craft the the skit or the pantomime mm -hmm. that would like raise the most not ire but questions and would get people thinking and so I think that 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 sense of being a challenger has served me well in that I wasn't satisfied to just listen to what someone told me to do. Um, and so I think that like, I was able to escape some of that. It's only what the pastor says, because I was like, I can, I can read, I can have questions. I will say though, that growing up in the evangelical church, my really broke my um, ability to listen to my intuition for a long mm -hmm. time. Right. Yeah. The sense that I, my brain could be trusted that my heart could mm -hmm. be trusted was really broken for a long time that has been one of the hardest things I've had to like work on to come back to um and I think that that also plays into authority right because you you in many ways learn to override your own authority in order to listen to the authority of someone else and so coming back into tune with my own sense of self um, has been a really important part of the journey. And now for me, you know, the idea of authority is, is about, I, I want to follow people that I trust. Mm -hmm. And the people that I trust are people who I'm seeing that the lives that they're living, the fruit that they're bearing matches what they're talking about. Right. Like, I, I don't want to follow anyone who's talking a good game, but I can tell that that's all it is, is talk. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I want to be in the trenches with people. Um, and so I trust and follow people who are doing the work and who are held up by their communities as as doing the work. And so I, I think a lot more about, like, what does it look like to be in solidarity with people? What does it look like to follow people who are... um a part of their community and who are being being held up as like this is someone from our community that you should listen to um those are the people now that i look to for authority and to pay attention to how to shape my own life in solidarity with people from other marginalized communities the the word that comes up <laughs> it comes to mind is woke right um uh, which is depending on who you talk to can be a very um, triggering word. Uh, but yeah, that's the, 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 the word that comes to mind for some reason is woke, just that, you know, 
for me, it was reading the Bible, like actually, you know, and that's the thing that people come to us at or come to, you know, come at us with is, well, you should just read the Bible. And it's like, I did. Yeah, (laughs) that's why I'm here. I read the words of Jesus and uh, yeah, it's that it's Jesus with the marginalized. It's Jesus with the ones that, you know, we wouldn't take, you know, a second look at um, within our own like conditioning, right? Because we were conditioned a certain way, um, even, you know, sometimes, you know, scrolling through Facebook and I still have churches for my past on there and I'll just stop and kind of listen for a little bit. And it's still this, like, it's either a um, feel-good speech, like a, a motivational speaker talking, or it's, if you were to die right now, where would you go? And it's like, how is this helping anybody? This isn't helping anybody, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, where, where is Jesus in this? Um, and another thing that I've kind of, and I'm interested to hear what you think is, is like the word evangelical. Um, this is an ex-evangelical podcast, but I mean, with the work that we do, do you feel that evangelical could be um, reclaimed? Absolutely not. No. Um, and because I think that it is inextricable from a political system um, and an intertwined so thoroughly, not just in the United States, but all over the world Mm. with a far right political system that you can't just, you, you can't, you can't pull that out and pull that apart anymore and reclaim any part of it. Um, and it, and to me, it's also like part of an entire way of reading and understanding that just isn't good or healthy for people. It's, it's not, it's not the way any scholars re- would read scripture. Um, it's not how the longest traditions of Christianity have understood theological tenets. Um, and so for me, the the best way forward is to like burn it all down and create something new. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, know what I, I was I know, expecting, but it was good. <laughs> I know that that's, I know that that's really hard for folks to hear sometimes, you know, because there's a lot of, and I, and I have this too, a lot of love for the the places and the communities that we came from, mm-hmm. a lot of love for the people that are still in those places, um, a lot of love for some of the style, if not the substance. Mm-hmm. And yet I think that we have to understand that the substance is what is rotten that there isn't a way to to reclaim or redo that um, without unintentionally recreating the same harms right because it's it's based in a system that is that is meant to be about power it's meant to be about numbers it's meant to be about um politics in in ways that we can't like separate that out and say, oh, well, no, we're just going to, we're just going to hold on to the good things. It's like, well, no, you, you can't, all of those good things were created as part of a system that was designed to do very, very specific things um, that are not the things that we want to replicate. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's just no way to, to kind of save any of it. Yeah. Uh, what are some things that you still hold dear from that past life, if anything? Yeah, 
I mean, I, I really do hold dear the idea of community um, and the ways that that community seemed really important, you know, and I, I can look back and say and see like, oh, that wasn't actually real community, right? It was like community <laughs> as long as you towed the line. But there was something in the sense of I have people that are going to show up for me. Um, I have people that if I need to move or if my family needs food, food is going to show up. People are going to show up with the truck, right? Like that, there was that sense of people are going to show up for me. I think that's really important. And I do think that there is this um, sense of emotional connection to the divine that I think is really important um that that there be a sense of of connection and embodiment and a faith that is lived out right like I I see all of those things and again I I wouldn't want any of them in the way that I had them right because mm-hmm. it was also like there was a lot of emotional manipulation yep. and the, a lot of the ways that I lived out my faith was like by not having sex or cursing right like that's I'm not interested in that but I am interested in like what does it look like to have an embodied faith what does it look like for our emotions to be connected while also never having to leave our intellect behind what does right. it look like for um for us to live out our faith and our values in in real and concrete ways, I think that that is that's important. And I do think that a love of scripture is really important. Again, like I read scripture in totally different ways, but I, but the ways in which we talked about paying attention to scripture and knowing it and understanding it, um, I think are 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 really good. Mm-hmm. And so I so I do think that there are these nuggets, right? These nuggets of like ideas and information and ways of being that I want to carry out, but I can't carry them out without deeply, deeply interrogating them and asking, what was it about this that that resonates? Um, mm-hmm. And how do I do that in a way that is healthy and life-giving and not replicating something that is dangerous? Yeah. Yeah, I, I and that's the common thing that comes up is how people miss the community. And then thinking about it, it's there was also community, but there was like it was conditional. Yeah, sometimes, absolutely. right? Um, I remember when my dad died, we had, you know, several people from the church show up, you know, no questions asked. We did I we didn't even ask them, they just showed up. Um, but when, you know, I came out three years ago, um, on social media, like made it public or whatever. And my friend's mom texts me who was part of that community and said, I'm sorry about your marriage. I'm like, (laughs) you know, that's, that's what you get. Um, and then also the, you know, the irony of me being in a loving same sex relationship, yet someone from the pre that same church can be in a horrible relationship but they get the, Oh, we're so happy for you. And, you know, it's just, it's mind boggling, you know? Um, man. Uh, and then you talked about the, like doing the plays and stuff, um, which was probably my favorite part of, (laughs) you know, the, the good old days. Um, but also where a lot of the indoctrination came in, I mean, you had hell house, you had heaven's Mm -hmm. gates, hell's flames, you had, 
um, all sorts of stuff. And then um, when I was in high school, Columbine happened. Um, so a lot of those plays would have like school shooters in them, or they would have, you know, the missionary that died. It was all like, they, they loved martyrs. They still do. Like, it just had this like theme around being martyrs. Um, and then, uh, playing Satan for a little while, which was fine, but also going back and looking at it going, wow, (laughs) you know, like, or telling my therapist about this and she's like, what? (laughs) These are things you did. I'm like, yeah. Didn't everybody, didn't everyone go to Hell House in the, you know, <laughs> the late nineties, early two thousands or my wife who has like no like Christian background at all. She's like, yeah, this, the stuff is not normal. You know that, right? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but it is, <laughs> we all, we all experience this. Right. Um, so what was seminary like for you? Yeah, so I, I was already pretty far into my deconstruction journey um, mm. by the time I enrolled in seminary. I, I went to Union Theological Seminary in New York, which is an incredible, incredible place with a really, really vibrant and rich history. Uh, and so seminary, seminary was really incredible because it gave me a lot of tools to deeply understand my faith and not just tools to understand like theology, but to understand the history of certain doctrines and the history of evangelicalism. Um, I took this like multi-semester course with a professor named Dr. Gary Dorian, who has written a three volume series on the history of liberal Christianity in the United States. And like, Mm -hmm. these are thick volumes. Uh, And so we read all three of them over the course of, of those couple of semesters. But what that course really did for me was help me understand that many of the the things that I had grown up believing that had been handed down from Jesus were actually like really specific movements that were against or in opposition to these other movements that were happening in the same time, right? And, and so growing up in a tradition that was very much like ahistorical. There, there was no like history that we came from, right? It was just like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Understanding that no, actually we came from a really rooted in time and space and certain people and thinking way of being helped me to A, get over a lot of the fear of like, what if I'm doing my faith wrong? Mm-hmm. Because then I, I started to understand like, oh, oh no, like this conversation about the right way to do faith has been happening since the beginning. It's like actually a very faithful thing to ask these questions and to wrestle. And also then I could see like, oh, the rapture came from this line (laughs) and like this other line, like didn't have that belief. Um, And that was really, really helpful for me. I'm a bit of a nerd, but also like, to have grounding in these things that I've been feeling are actually like historically proven. Um, And so seminary was really, really good for me in that way. And then I came out in seminary as trans and started my medical transition while I was in seminary, came out my second year. Um, And so that was really difficult. Uh, Not, not necessarily because people weren't um, supportive, although there were some that weren't, but because it was just a really exhausting time. Um, and I was trying to make sense of of who I was and what my faith looked like while also like getting a graduate degree, which is not easy. 
And so it was, all of that was kind of wrapped up together. Um, but the gift of that time was being able to figure out my identity and being encouraged to think about it theologically, um, which I'm not sure would have happened had I not been going to seminary at the same mm -hmm. time. And so that kind of mix of, of like life journey and theological exploration and interpretation created a space for me to really work some things out and and to also to start to do theology from a trans perspective and to realize that that was a valid place to do theology from um and that turned into uh, just a really great gift and so I'm, I'm very thankful for the folks that in, encouraged my theological voice in seminary and who made space for me to start telling those stories, even as I was still in the midst of figuring out what that looked like for, for me personally. When I got to seminary, I was, I don't know what I was expecting. And I don't know if you, you kind of had the same thing. If I, if I was expecting just to show up and it'd be like a bunch of white guys, like white cis guys, right. <laughs> um, like the Theo bros and now our our seminary is so diverse but even just showing up when i did um most of my classmates were queer there were a lot of trans people uh and it was just it was mind blowing because again our background was very much like gay people can't be christians and then you go into a seminary and that's all and it was like we kind of have this like same path of like um christianity deconstruction coming out seminary and then maybe other you know forms of coming out um through that journey so yeah seminary in itself is just a gift um what was one thing and i usually don't ask so many questions about seminary um but i'm just thinking about again my my experience what was maybe one thing that you learned in seminary that you were like oh my god like for me it was like that there were so many narratives of the Genesis story and that, you know, a lot of it came from like a, you know, mythical background um, that it wasn't, you know, Noah and the Ark didn't really happen. I had such a, um, a simple faith when I was an evangelical. So seminary kind of just blew all of that um, out of the water for me. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, I think a lot of people had experiences like the one that you're describing. I didn't actually have um, that type of experience. I, I think because I had asked so many questions before mm -hmm. I started seminary um, that I, I really, I, there was nothing, there was nothing that I was still holding to like so tightly that I was going to be shocked if it blew apart. Um, I, I will say that I think for me, the, the big things that I learned um, were around like anchoring uh, it in a historical moment um, and, and, and that piece of like knowing what kind of tradition you're coming from and mm. why that matters. Um, that yeah. was really important and good for me. Uh, and then I think, you know, union is a very activist uh, seminary. And so that sense of your faith only matters in, in as far as you're like putting it into action mm. in community with people, <laughs> with real people and with real communities. Um, and that push to 
figure out what that looked like. My um, field education was at an incredible congregation called Judson Memorial Church in um, in the village in New York. Uh, they've been around for hundreds of years. And the pastor who oversaw that program was very much like, just try things and like, let it fail and then try again, but be in community. And that kind of emphasis of like, we show up, we show up when there's protests, we show up when there is something that needs to be done. Um, and then we try, we try. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. We try something else. Um, I think in a, in a space where we're not often encouraged to fail or where failure is seen as like a really terrible, awful thing. Like we launched a new ministry and it bombed. Um, <laughs> and then we feel all sorts of things about that. This congregation was just like, okay, like you did a thing. It didn't work. What's the next thing? Um, and I think that that taught me a really important lesson about like, oh, we can try things and we're not always going to get it right. And sometimes we're going to like set up the chairs and one person's going to come and that doesn't have to be the the end of it, right? Like that that one person who shows up, maybe that's the conversation that we actually needed mm -hmm. to have. Um, maybe, and then the other piece of that was also like, and maybe it's not the church church's job to like fix all of the problems. Like maybe we'd be better served not doing a new program and going and joining the thing that's already happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so those were those were really important lessons for me uh, I think especially coming from a tradition that was like no like we, our job is to like get people to come here and they're they were like I, we don't if people don't come on Sunday morning like uh, uh, that's not where when our work happens like that's part of our work but our work mm -hmm. also happens on the streets and in this clinic and uh, raising money for this and like that's that's where you need to be active and it takes so much pressure off too right yeah 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 yeah, because I mean, we had dead horses everywhere, just beating them, like yeah. just trying to get people to come in. Um, I just remember one youth pastor saying, just bring them in and we'll clean them. Like, you know, <laughs> as a form of like witnessing, I'm like, that's awful. Um, one thing I pulled out to show you to see if you ever saw one of these, but do you, do you remember the Evangel Cube? No. Did you ever have one of these? Oh, man. We did um, not have those. Yeah, it was a great little witnessing tool. Uh, I brought it to, so we had an evangelical class. Um, it was the first one. That's why I started this podcast and brought it in and I showed a girl and I was like, yeah. And I did the whole thing for her. And she's like, how do you know this? Cause it's, you know, um, you know, man separated from God, Jesus dies on the cross for your sins. And then on the third day he rose again and, you know, you have a cross that, you know, is bridge between you and heaven. And then you're meet, met with God. And then on the back, it's got like these little like pray, confess and read your Bible and all that jazz. Um, but she was like, yeah, how, how did you say that so fast? Like, how did you know that? I'm like, because when you're <laughs> when, when yeah. you've been conditioned, it's just, you know, I feel like um, the old life, it was a lot of scripts. Like we just had these scripts that we just, you know, and this is something with my wife, she would say, you know, like, what does John three sixteen mean? And I would kind of look at her and she was like, 
why do you look at me like that? I'm like, because I'm trying not to like just spew out what I'm used to like saying, <laughs> you know, because I have yeah. like the John 316 script. It's like now I need to think about it and then tell you, you know, what it is that I think instead of, you know, going from something I memorized. Um, but it is interesting that even after like three years of being here and you know, after deconstruction that now I'll allow those scripts to come up and go, okay, like I still do believe <laughs> some of this, yeah. you know, there is still some, some good things. Um, so where, where are you at now and what are you doing now? Yes, I'm living in rural Kansas. Um, uh, my wife and I moved here a little over a year ago, very intentionally to be in a rural community, um, to be a, a part of whatever change is happening here. Um, uh, one of the things that I, I had visited this community before we moved, and there are just so many queer and trans kids here. Mm -hmm. And it was really important for me to be in a space um, where I could be a, an adult that they could see um, and be around for them. And so that's been, that's been really great. Um, I, my life, most of my ministry happens online, um, digital ministry uh, with, through queertheology.com, which is making space and resources for folks who are interested in Christianity um, or who are interested in better integrating their gender and sexuality and their faith life, um, faith tradition. You know, historically that's been Christianity, but now it's it's much more broad than that. And it's also really a space for like, if you aren't sure you want to be Christian anymore, or you like think that Christianity might not be on the end, other end of your deconstruction, like there's space for you there too. We're not invested in keeping anyone Christian or keeping you in the tradition that you grew up in. Um, it's really about like, what does it look like for you to have spiritual practices and a spiritual life and a connection to something that's bigger than you, whether that's God, the universe, community, um, that is healthy and that is life-giving. And if part of what you need to do is like leave Christianity, then let's help you leave well um, and mm -hmm. leave fully right? So that you can figure out what it is that is good and right for you. Um, so that's a lot of my work. I also do a lot of traveling um, and, and, and speaking and teaching and workshops, both in Christian communities, but also in secular communities around like how to be more inclusive to trans folks, um, why trans theology matters, why storytelling matters. I do a lot of, I, I consider myself a sacred storyteller. And so in some ways my work is telling sacred stories, but in other ways, my work is equipping other people to be better storytellers. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's that mix of things. And so that takes me into theaters, that takes me into drama classes, that takes me into um, churches. And, and so it's a really, it's a really lovely mix. Um, so I don't, I don't serve a congregation here in Kansas, mostly because there are seven thousand uh churches in a town of nine thousand people and i don't think we quite need another one uh, but trying to figure out like what does it look like to to be invested in my community and to um, be a spiritual presence here i do sometimes preach in town or or do things um but i'm not looking for for a call in kansas yeah. at, at the moment 
maybe a pulpit supply every now and then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. And that's been really, that's been really lovely. It's a cool way to uh, get to know different churches and stuff too. Yeah. Um, what's, what's some, what's an encouraging word that you would give to that queer kid, that trans kid that's in the rural areas that feel like they're alone? Yeah. I, I mean, one of the, the first things I would say is that you're not alone. There are tons of people here, um, both other queer and trans folks, but also straight allies who really do love and support um, their trans kids. And, and I think that the the one thing that was important for us to be here is to also say, like, I totally get it if you are a, a young person living in a rural community and you're thinking, like, of the first bus out of here that I can get <laughs> on, I will be on that bus. Like, listen, if that is where you need to be, like, I will drive you to the bus station and I will help you get out of here. But if part of what you feel like is that someday you might want to come back or or even that you don't want to leave, that you don't want to feel like you have to leave your home in order to be who you are, that we are going to work to make your home safe so that you can stay. Um, and I think that like there are more and more folks choosing to stay rooted in rural communities mm-hmm. Um because of that, because we don't want to be driven from our homes. Like I have been so radically shaped by my rural upbringing. Like this is, this is where my heart is. Um, I, I loved my time in the cities. I don't want to build a life in a city, right? Like I want to build it Mm -hmm. in a rural community. That's, that matters to me. Um, And I want to make it so that kids don't feel like they have to leave. Um, That if you, if you want to go to college and then come back, or if you need to get out for a while and then come back, like that there's going to be a place for you to come back to. That's awesome. Um, it's been really encouraging here in Austin. Um, we have all these small towns that surround us that would maybe look like they're more red areas, uh, more conservative areas. And within the last three years, all these different prides have just been popping up yeah. all over the city. And it is, it's very encouraging to go into a town that, you know, a few years ago, even before I was out that I would have thought, man, this is all, you know, like Trump County or or country or whatever. Um, But now to go to these small towns and you go like to their downtown area and there's rainbow flags or they have their pride symbols and all this stuff. Um, So yeah, it's very encouraging because we are, we are everywhere. Um, you know, and I said earlier that, you know, I, I think I said this earlier, um, that I met my first, like my first trans friends in seminary, but I would have to say trans friends that I knew because not everyone can come out to, you know, it's coming, you have to come out every single day, pretty much. Um, but yeah, that there's more and more areas that are becoming, um, safer. So that's, that's really encouraging. Um, what is something that you would want to say to your younger self? Hmm. Yeah, I always, I always like both love and hate this question because <laughs> the the reality is that my younger self wouldn't have been able to hear any of the things that mm, I would yeah. have needed to say. Yeah. Um, uh, but I do think that I, the one thing that I would want that I, and that I would hope I would be able to hear is like that radical joy is possible Mm -hmm. and that you're gonna get there but you gotta just keep going 
Um, because as a kid, I I was deeply unhappy and mm-hmm. um and I didn't I didn't think that it was gonna be possible to ever be as happy as I saw the people around me. Um and so mm-hmm. to to look back and to be like, oh no, it's 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 not only possible, it's like it's gonna blow your mind how good it is. Um that that's that is something that I wish I could say, uh, whether or not younger me would have been able to hear it or not is another <laughs> it's another <laughs> question. Yeah, I think it was because uh, we could be happy, but not too happy. Right, you could be right. sad, but not too sad. Like it, there was yes. like these perimeters behind, you know, the it would, it would have to be the joy of the Lord. Or if you did something good, you can see my guitars in the back. Um, I played on the worship team. I had to wear a skirt or a dress hated it but i wanted to play the guitar so i did what i had to um and the proper answer if someone would say well brett you did a really great job today i couldn't say oh thanks you know that's you know yay i would have to say oh it was just you know it was the lord (laughs) i always said it like you know bypass the compliment um what is something that you would want to tell somebody that's listening to this interview yeah, I think, um, you know, if you are a queer or trans person who is in the murky middle of figuring out what faith is going to look like for you, um, I want to say two things. One is that it's okay to leave. If you are in mm-hmm. a church or a family or a denomination or a seminary or even a tra- Christian tradition that is like no longer giving you life it is okay to leave. Um, you don't need permission, but if you, if you, if it feels helpful, permission granted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that a lot of folks don't know that they can leave. Um, so I just want to say like, you can leave. And also if you are someone who wants to stay, who wants to figure out, like, I, I don't know, there's something about this Jesus story that I'm drawn to. There's something about this Christian tradition that, feels like it speaks to me. I I, I want to figure out a way to stay in it, but I like just don't know if I can, or I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay and still be all of who I am. I want to say like that there's absolutely a place for you to be in the Christian tradition as all of your queer and trans mm-hmm. self, like whether you're polyamorous or have chosen Mm. medical transition or are dating or like whatever that looks like for you uh there's a place for you and it might take you work to get to somewhere where you feel at peace in that but like it's totally possible um and and you don't have to do it alone that there are lots of people that are walking this path with you and that are willing to to walk alongside you and show you the road from a little further ahead if that is helpful yeah for sure um what are some what's some media that you enjoy like are there movies tv shows that you enjoy books that you've read that have encouraged you uh well the tv show that i'm currently obsessed with is somebody somewhere it's Mm -hmm. on hbo max it is um they just finished up their second season it's about um, a woman who comes back to her hometown of Manhattan, Kansas. And it's like hysterically funny and deeply moving and super queer. Um, it's it's just got the greatest, quirkiest, most lovely cast. 
So check out somebody somewhere. That's been a a, a huge one for me. Um, also really really loved this um first season of A League of Their Own, the the oh, television so show. Good. Yeah, so so incredible. Um, and and so grateful that 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 got made and mm-hmm. um that hopefully once the strike is over we'll get a couple more episodes of that to to finish off that story. Um. Yeah, but I think that those are those are some some TV shows. As far as books, I really loved Radical Love by Dr. Patrick Chang. I studied with um, Patrick at, at Union, and it's such a great introduction to queer theology. Um, he surveys like a ton of different thinkers um, from all different traditions, and and puts together an introduction to how we can think about the Bible queerly. Um, so that's a great, great resource for folks that are like, oh, I, I'm curious about this queer theology thing, but like, I don't know where to start. Uh, his work is really accessible and readable. Uh, and also like the bibliography alone is incredible. Well, I think that's all of the questions we have. All right. <laughs> the, the time goes up and it, it, it ends pretty quickly. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share? How can everyone find you? Yeah, so our work at Queer Theology is at queertheology.com. And then on we're on all of the social medias and we also have a podcast. Um, so you can search Queer Theology in your podcast player of choice. And then you can find me at Shannon T.L. Kearns on all of the social medias. And that's also my website. And the name of the book again? Uh, in the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture is published by Erdman's last August. And it's available everywhere, correct? Yep. Okay, yep. awesome. Well, Shannon, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Instagram or on Facebook. You can find us at Another Exvangelical Podcast on all streaming platforms. You can also leave reviews on, I believe, any platform that you're listening to. I know you can on Spotify, but the best way to reach me is through facebook and instagram i would love to hear from y'all let me know what you want to hear in season two let me know what you liked what you didn't like um, what uh, was hard to digest in season one i really really would love to hear from y'all you can send me a private message or you can message under the uh the picture of the episode that you would like to comment on y'all take care That does it for this week's episode. Tune in next week when we talk with Kelly Brewer. Goodbye.